Good morning, Relentless Church. Man, y'all came ready today. And I, we just, I know we just did this, but I want a round of applause for y'all. That was a beautiful noise right there. That honored God. That praise him, I promise you. That was, uh, man, I'm, I'm ready. I appreciate y'all. Um, so, yes, my name is Raph, associate pastor here at Relentless, and excited to be here with you all this morning. If you have, uh, if, you're, if this is your first time here, second time here, if not, if I've never had the pleasure of meeting you personally, please let me say welcome. Thank you for coming, for choosing to worship with us today. I also want you to, to know um, we'd love for you to fill out a Connect card. If you've never, if you've been here once or you've been here 10 times, but you've never filled out a Connect card, we would love to invite you to do that. We have a gift that we would love to give you. So you can fill that out a couple ways. There's a QR code you can scan, or you can stop by the, the welcome table on your way out. But we just want to know that you are here. We'd love to connect with you. I promise we're not going to bombard you with emails or call you or show up at your doorstep. We just want to know you are here and let you know a little bit of information about us. And again, if you've never done that, we got a gift we'd love to give you as well. Um, also, I just wanted to highlight on our website, relentlesschurch.cc, the What's Happening page. Uh, that's where you're going to find everything that's going on as a church. And uh, in this season, that's a lot. It's picked up. we got a lot of things going on. O'Neill talked beautifully about the, the Kairos ministry that we are a part of. Uh, I also wanted you to know today we started our, our Easter drive. We do this annually uh, for Christmas and Easter in partnership with Hand of Hope, which is a ministry that we support. Hand of Hope, uh, so we partner with them. Hand of Hope supports moms and dads who have chosen life for their babies. And the way they do that is by uh, providing essential assistance with uh, getting to doctor's appointments, paying for, for sonograms and, and ultrasounds and uh, um, parenting classes and so much more. And so we're, we're honored to partner with them and some of the work that they do. And uh, one of the other things we do is, we, again, we do those drives Christmas and Easter. So this Easter drive, uh, we've got tags out there for kids to provide uh, Easter baskets for kids. We're also doing family baskets this year. Uh, uh, so uh, we're asking for things like family devotionals uh, and, and grocery gift cards to bless families, but really want to connect them with who Jesus is and what Easter is all about. So we're excited about that. You can stop by the table on your way out and find out more. You can check it out on the What's Happening page, okay? So that said, by faith. This is week three of a series we're in called By Faith. Uh, and, and in the last couple of weeks, uh, Pastor David has come back to this, this statement that he's really challenged us to make our prayer and for us to adopt for, for ourselves. I want to amaze Jesus with what I believe he can do in my life. Okay, the idea being that there was only a couple of times in Scripture that it says Jesus was actually amazed, that he was wowed, he was floored, and it was by people's faith. Okay, and so I want to amaze Jesus with not, not with my own performance, not with what I think I can do, not with how I can achieve, but with what I believe he can do in, in my life. Today, uh, our, our main Scripture that we're going to be digging into today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, for we live by faith not by sight. For we live by faith, not, not by sight. Now, um, even as I read that and say it out, out loud, uh, it's ironic because oftentimes I think the opposite is true. I think if you were to look at us, I think oftentimes you would say, I would say, hey, we're living by sight. We're living, I'm living by what I can see and what I'm experiencing and what I'm, what I'm, what I'm feeling, right? How often do, I do we find ourselves living by sight and reacting to the immediate circumstances in our daily lives? Um, so my wife and I have a running, I'm not going to call it an argument, just a, a, a debate, a disagreement. Uh, recently, uh, I'd say in the last year or two, maybe, like since I turned 40, she thinks my uh, I don't see as well at night 
as, as I used to. And so we, you know, we're driving anytime it's night out, and she's, you need to make an appointment to the doctor. You can't see, you missed that, whatever it is, you know. And she, she reminds me of this in a nice, gentle way, right? And so a couple weeks ago, we were, we were, uh, were blessed. Her boss called and said, hey, we got some tickets to the Carolina Hurricanes game. If y'all want to go, there we go. We got some fans. It was a great game. They won in overtime. Amazing. But uh, so I was like, yeah, we jumped on it. But it was, you know, last minute thing, and the game was about to start. And so uh, luckily my mom came and watched the kids, and we were able to go. And so we're, we're kind of rushing trying to get there. And there's no traffic on the road as we get to PNC Arena because the game's already started. But we're pulling up. I got the GPS on because we, gotta, we got parking passes too. So I got to find the specific lot we're supposed to park in. And so the GPS is kind of navigating, telling us where to go. It says, like, take a right. My wife hears that. And she's looking at whatever sign that I'm supposed to be taking a right on. It's like, take right. She's like, take this right, this right. And I just, I keep driving, right? Now, what she doesn't see that I see is these orange cones all lined up on the road, closing off the place where I'm supposed to turn. It's like, you missed it. I told you you need to make an appointment. Um, okay, fine. We're going to turn around. We come back. We pull up. I'm like creeping past the orange cones. I'm like, do you see that? Like somebody owes somebody an apology, right? <laughs> She's like, okay, okay. So, so we go around the block. We find our way to the lot we're supposed to be in. But it just it struck me, it occurred to me, in 12 years of marriage, 16 years we've been together, I, I want y'all, my church family, to hear me say this, I have an impeccable driving record. Like, it's impeccable. I'm t- I feel like I need to knock on something. No accidents, no, no, no uh, um, tickets, like none of that, right? So you would think she'd have a little bit more faith in my driving ability, okay? <laughs> I want to say that up front. So Obviously, I'm just picking on my wife a little bit. I told first service because she's not here, but now she is here. So, I, but, <laughs> but hopefully I get, can get away with it. The truth is, um, it is, I will admit, it's getting harder for me to see at night. <laughs> just a little bit. And so maybe I should make an appointment with the eye doctor uh, sooner rather than later. What's the point of my story? Drive by faith. No, I'm just kidding. Don't drive by faith. Please don't drive. Drive by sight. Keep your eyes on the road. You should always drive by sight. But, but when it comes to how we live our lives, Paul says, walk by faith. Some translations say walk. That means just in your daily life, the way that we live, live by faith, not by sight, which means as followers of Jesus, we should not rely on our own understanding and experiences and just the things that we can see and touch to guide us in life. But instead, we should trust in God's promises and in his guidance. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. There's a way that seems right to us, that seems natural to to us as humans. There's a way that seems like makes sense to me, and and I want to go down that road, but God says in his word that that if I do that on my own devices and follow my own ways, ultimately that's going to lead to ruin. Conversely, in Proverbs 3 verse 5 and 6, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So again, there's a way that seems natural to me. There's a way that seems right to me in my human fleshly nature. But again, if I, if I go down that road, it's the, it's the road to ruin. But if I trust in God, if I put my faith, my trust in him, in all my ways, lean not on my own understanding, but, but on what he's told me and what he says and what his spirit is, is leading and guiding me to do, he says he'll lead me to the way everlasting. So why is it important for us to, to walk by faith and not by sight? There are a few reasons. Number one, our senses can deceive us. 
our senses can deceive us, right? Things aren't always how they seem. How often do we hear things that are not quite what they seem to be or, or see things that aren't maybe really there or as we see them or maybe we just misinterpret them somehow? Um, my, my son, uh, he's, um, I try to get up early, like, before my kids get up to have my own little quiet time and have my coffee and get into the word. And, and my son makes that really, really hard. It's like a competition to see who can get up first. And so he always comes down and, you know, I used to, it used to be like, oh, now I'm just like embrace it. Like, come on, buddy, let's do it, right? So he's down the other day and the sun's like coming up and there's a little, um, it was, it ended up being a squirrel, but like something just runs across the window and, and then the, the shades were down. Just the, all you can see is a shadow and he jumps. And he's like, dad, I think someone's looking in our window. And I'm like, Nobody's looking at a window at 6 in the morning right now. What are you talking about? He's, like, I th- he's convinced someone's going to break in the house, right? It's a, a, lift up, it's a squirrel, buddy. <laughs> it's a squirrel, right? Things aren't always like what you, how they seem to be. Have you ever uh, had this experience? Maybe you walk in and the office at work or at school or, or maybe at, at, in your house. You walk into the room and two people are like talking and having a conversation or maybe they're giggling or laughing. Then you walk in and things stop and what do you think instantly? They're talking about me, right? They're talking about me. It had nothing, most likely had nothing to do with you, right? But in my mind, I've already got the narrative of what they're doing, why they're, you know, because things aren't always maybe what they, they seem. We misinterpret sometimes. Our senses can deceive us. Also, our perspective is limited. In other words, there's only so much that we can see, that you can see from your vantage point, okay? And, and when we focus solely on the physical and the immediate, we often miss the bigger picture, Right? That's why you and I can look at the same exact thing and see them completely differently. You see something I don't see. Or have you ever looked at maybe those pictures or a, a whatever it is, like you come close and you can only see it, but you get out and you see the full thing and you're like, oh, I didn't know that was there, right? Sometimes our perspective is limited. And lastly, our, our vision is short-sighted. Our vision is, is short-sighted or, or nearsighted. When, when we only walk by sight, we focus on the temporary but we lose sight of the eternal. We are a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. That's who we are. That's our mission as a church. We talk about the, the gospel. We want to keep that front and center every week, right? I hope you feel and, and know that. We talk a lot about being a multi-ethnic church because we want to make sure that, that, that people understand this isn't an idea or, or a fad, but this is something that God called us to be. This is, this is the church, how God intended it to be. I think we need to do a better job of talking more about being forever-focused. Okay, forever focused. What that means is we, we are a, a, a people who follow Jesus and believe what he says is true. And what he said was this life is a mist. Spray a, a mist, a jar of water. That's, it's gone. You're here one second, you're gone the next. In, 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 on the timeline of eternity, our life is like that, right? And so we want to live like that's true, meaning we want to live with eternity in mind. We want to live with forever in mind doesn't mean we don't care about this life. It means this life should matter that much more because our time here is limited. So we should spend our time doing and, 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 and focusing and putting our energy towards the things that are going to have uh, 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 weight, the things that are going to matter in eternity, right? Forever focused. I think these are just a few of the reasons, the many reasons that Paul can boldly claim that we are to live by faith and not by sight. But to really understand what Paul's saying, I think we need to dig in and understand where he's coming from. We need to dig into the the context of this second letter to the Corinthians. So even though this book is called 2 Corinthians, um, in our Bibles, there are some clues within the letter itself that tell us this wasn't actually the second letter Paul ever wrote to the the believers in Corinth, okay? 
Uh, Paul had started this, this church, this Jesus community, some years ago. And then uh, after he had moved on, he had heard a report that things were not going well there anymore. And so he wrote them in response to this news uh, in what we know as the first letter of Corinthians, okay? Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians. Uh, but it appears that many in the church did not receive that letter well. They, did, they, they rejected Paul's teachings from that letter, and they had rebelled against his authority. And so Paul followed up in person. He went and visited them in person with what he calls a painful visit. And, and then he later sent another letter, which Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says it was written with anguish and tears. Okay, so, so he goes and visits in person, writes him another letter. Then after all these measures, most, but not all of, of the Corinthian believers, they realize their arrogance, their, their mistake. They apologize to Paul and were hoping to reconcile with him. And so finally, Paul writes what we know as 2 Corinthians to assure them of his love and his commitment. The question is, why did they reject Paul in the first place? As Paul explains it himself, and, and later on in 2 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11, somewhere along the line, these Corinthian believers had come to disregard Paul as a credible leader. And the reason was because, quite frankly, Paul didn't look the part. He was, he was, he was broke. He was poor. He, he, he barely scratched a living for himself as a tent maker. Uh, manual labor, he literally made tents for people and sold them in market. And so uh, when Paul wasn't planning churches and discipling people, he was, he was trying to make tents and sell just to get enough money to eat, okay? And so the, the, the Corinthians saw him as, as someone who was, uh, who was poor, who struggled to support himself, and he was constantly under persecution. He was often homeless. And to top it all off, Paul says himself, he, he also wasn't an eloquent speaker. He wasn't known to be the best public speaker. Okay, he was great with the pen, but Paul himself would say, hey, yeah, I'm not the best at, at public speaking. And so the Corinthians saw all this, right? Paul plants the church, then he leaves. Well, guess what? Some new leaders came, some new Christian leaders who were wealthy, had money, spoke eloquently. They looked apart. They looked like, oh, that's what someone who I want to follow should look like. And so they, they left Paul's teaching and started following these new false teachers. Right? And so that's what's going on. That's kind of the context that's happening. And ultimately, they started to think less of Paul to the point where they became ashamed of him. And so Paul responds okay, by, by uh, showing that the elevation of these leaders based on their wealth and, their, eloquent and their, their eloquence and their success by these worldly standards, Paul says that's living by sight. That's living by sight. And not only is that a betrayal to Jesus and his sacrifice, but it also reveals a distorted value system. Okay, Paul says true Christian leadership is not about status and self-promotion, and my job is not to be impressive to you all. Actually, it's to point you to the only one who is impressive. That's Jesus Christ. And so he continues. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, Paul decides to contrast the covenant between God and Israel, and the, old, the old covenant mediated by, by Moses, Okay, and the new covenant between God and those who put their faith in Jesus. In this case, he's speaking specifically about the Corinthians. Okay, and this, this new covenant is mediated by Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit. And so the old covenant, which was made at Mount, Mount Sinai, was truly glorious. In that Moses went, to, went up the mountain, met with God, and, and, and he got the, the Ten Commandments. God gave him the law, and he came back down to the people. And says Moses' face was still shining. He was still glowing with the glory of God, like literally. Eventually, that glow faded, 
okay? And not only that, but, but the, the laws that he came with that covenant that he gave to the people were ineffective in truly transforming the people of Israel. It didn't change their hearts. They went back to their old ways, okay? But this new covenant, according to Paul, is even more glorious because it, the, 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 the resurrected Jesus Christ is the glory of God, and he lives on forever, okay? And his spirit is transforming his people from the inside out to become more like him, to live like Jesus, to be more faithful like Jesus himself. And so if you think about it, man, who, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that, right? Who doesn't want God's glory? But Paul goes on to show how the paradox of the cross turns the Corinthians' ideas and, and our own worldly views of glory and success upside down, right? He, he flips it. He says, it doesn't look, you're living by sight, but guess what? God's kingdom doesn't look like you would expect it to look like. So, so if you live by sight and not by faith, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it because remember, Jesus didn't become the king of kings by accumulating wealth and seeking power or winning battles like all the other earthly kings did. Instead, he sacrificed and he went through suffering, even to the point of being killed on the cross. And he took the punishment for the sins of the world upon himself. And this is how God showed his love for us by forgiving us our sins and bringing us back into a relationship with him. And through the cross, Jesus demonstrates a new way of life, a new way for his followers to live, one that is marked by sacrificial love and service to others. And this is the life that the Apostle Paul is striving to live. This is what he's doing, okay? A life that reflects the cross of Jesus. And so his ministry was marked by humility and struggles and hardships, but it was all for the benefit of other people, just like these Corinthians themselves. And so he wants them to know that when they criticize him for his suffering and his poverty, they're also criticizing the path of Jesus. Paul's life and his leadership show that he truly represents the crucified, risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And while he desperately wants to reconcile with the Corinthians here, he also will not rest until they truly understand the upside-down nature of the cross. The message of Jesus, which is that true power comes through love and sacrifice. This is the context of Paul saying, live by faith, not by sight. And we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We got this treasure, right? This treasure is the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the glory of God made evident through that gospel. Okay, Paul's referring to, to God's spirit that dwells within us and magnifies and reveals and forms the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. He says we have this, this treasure, this amazing gift in, in jars of clay. Now, clay jars were very, very common in, in, in every ancient home in the world. Okay, they, they um, are inexpensive. Okay, they're also uh, flawed and easily breakable, right? They're not super, super sturdy. When Paul refers to us, talking about humans as clay jars, he isn't disparaging the body, but he's simply comparing the value of God's light and his glory and the value of what he decided to put that light and glory into. Us, flawed human beings. When you compare the two, it's not hard to be amazed that God would put such a great treasure into jars of clay, Right? Why would God do that? Why would he put such great treasure into such weak vessels? Paul says, so that 
this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So that it would be evident, so that it would be plain to see, for all who had eyes to see, that the transformation, the power comes from, that, that, that God working out in his people, that it comes from God and not from us, that we could not do this of our own devices. God chooses flawed earthly vessels instead of safe heavenly ones because while perfect vessels might be safe, they glorify themselves. Earthly vessels are riskier, right? but they can bring profound glory to God. This is, this is why we have choice. This is, this is why God didn't just make us a bunch of perfect robots and say, go do what I told you to do, because he gets glory when we choose him. When we trust him to work those things out in and through us. Paul is drawing a contrast between the weakness of his physical, earthly condition and the amazing power that he had experienced in his faith through the presence of the Holy Spirit inside him. And he continues, verse 8, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul says, hard-pressed. I've been perplexed, persecuted, struck down. These are hard words, right? Paul, Paul's life was hard. His ministry was hard. And make no mistake, it was hard because of his commitment to Jesus and to the gospel. Paul was no stranger to suffering. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you, in Paul's own words, this is from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read it from the message version because I love the way Eugene Peterson writes it. But, but this is Paul describing his suffering in his own words. Okay, verse 23, 2 Corinthians 11. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count. And at death's door, time after time, I've been flogged five times with the Jews, 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun, and sea storm, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather, and that's not the half of it when you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches, Paul says. That's just the physical suffering, let alone the spiritual and emotional weight that I carry for all the churches and the people that I'm responsible for. He says, when someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel the desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin and angry fire burns in my gut, I have, if I have to brag about myself, I'll brag about the humiliations that make me like Jesus. Paul says, y'all looking to these impressive leaders who are telling you what you want to hear, and they're looking the part. I'm not going to brag like they do. If I brag about anything, it's going to be about the stuff that I have in common with Jesus. Yes, I've suffered, and so did he. And in my suffering, guess what? He has sustained me. I found his victory in my suffering. Go back to, to chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed. But not in despair, I got the hope of Jesus in me. Persecuted, but not abandoned. There's never been a day he wasn't by my side. Struck down, but not destroyed. He protects me. He sees me through. 
Paul's giving testimony, right? He knew the power and the victory of Jesus in his life because he was continually in situations where only the power and the victory of Jesus could meet his need. And time and time again, Jesus showed up for him, which leads Paul to eventually write at the end of chapter 4 and verse 16, therefore, do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Outwardly we may be wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed. This is, this is the same idea as the reference to treasures and jars of clay from verse 7. Paul's saying, be encouraged. Be encouraged even when, when it doesn't look like you should be, okay? Even when on the outside we're suffering and, and we're taking a beating. Why? Because on the inside God is blessing and renewing and restoring then he continues, verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. All right, here, I got to hit pause for a second. Because if you're like me, I'm reading this, I'm like, okay, I was with you to this point, Paul, but now you just call my trouble light and momentary. You don't know my story, you don't know my struggle, you don't know. In fact, it doesn't feel light or momentary at all. As a matter of fact, my troubles sometimes feel unbearable and like they're going to be here forever. Like, like I've been going through them forever and like I always will. And so how can you say that they're light and momentary? Remember, we just read about Paul's suffering, right? He knows struggle. He knows suffering, physical, emotional, and spiritual. Now, I don't think he also, he has the spirit of Jesus in him, right? So I don't think Paul's the type to be like, man, y'all ain't struggled like I struggled, like suck it up. That's not what he's saying, okay? Paul, Paul, if anyone can empathize with the human struggle, it's Paul. It's Paul. So that's not what he's saying. What I, I think what he's doing is he's reframing that struggle. He's reframing that, that trouble, that affliction in light of eternity. Why does Paul call our affliction or our troubles light and momentary? Because of what God accomplishes in and through our, 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 our trouble, our affliction. He says, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Like Paul saying, hey, picture a scale, you know, those double-sided scales. And, and on this one side, you can go ahead and put all the trouble, all the affliction, all the hard times, all the pain, all this, everything you've ever experienced in your life and will experience. Let's put it on this side. And what I'm saying is, on this side, I'm going to put the glory that God has for us, the glory that he's been storing up for us, what we're going to experience when we get to be with him for eternity. I'm going to put it on this side of the scale. And guess what? It far outweighs them all. It far outweighs them all. And again, I know that doesn't sound very helpful to someone who's in the middle of a struggle right now. Right? If you're in the middle of a storm and you're experiencing something really hard and heavy right now, please, I, I want you to know that God sees you. God sees you. He's for you. He's with you. He loves you. And he has promised. The moment you put your trust in him, you put your faith in him, he has promised that you will be brought into his presence and you will remain there, showered by his glory forever, forever, for eternity. That's a, that's a promise from God. And in the meantime, between now and then, I think he wants you to find comfort in that promise. He wants you to find comfort in his presence. So this is in no way to minimize or diminish the very real things that you may be going through. 
I just think sometimes it's hard for us to truly appreciate the weight of glory because it is an eternal weight. In other words, because we can't see it and we haven't received it yet, we dismiss it. We don't really appreciate it. We don't think about it much. doesn't mean it's not there or it's not real. So often the problem for us isn't so much in what we think about our current troubles or, or afflictions, but in that we think so little about the eternal glory that is to come. It wasn't like that for Paul. I read Paul, and it seems to me like he, he, it was the opposite for him. That's all he thought about. That's all he thought about. And it produced in him a perspective that enabled him to transcend the worst of circumstances to, to the point that, that now he's eventually even able to refer to them as light and momentary. These light and momentary troubles. Paul had a different kind of perspective produced in him by the Spirit of God. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In other words, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. When you, when, you, when you only look at the things which are seen, sometimes all we see is our trouble, and then it doesn't seem very light at all. But when we look at the things which are not seen, then we can appreciate the eternal weight of God's glory and what is to come. Now, Paul isn't saying that all afflictions automatically produce glory, okay? In fact, um, it's, it's very possible to allow suffering to destroy you, right, and let affliction make you bitter or miserable or self-focused and, and draw you away from God. In fact, I, I think Paul's warning us against that. I think he's saying, hey, when you live by sight, this, this will happen. This could happen to you. So that's why I'm imploring you, live by faith, walk by faith, not by sight. Because if you look to the things which are not yet seen, then your affliction will work in you an eternal glory. An eternal glory. So, how do we do that, right? Because I'm, I'm with you, Paul. It sounds good. I want to do that. I want to walk by faith, but, but, but how? I think Paul would say, keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes on eternity. Again, we talked about forever focus. Right? Here's what I want you to know about that. Forever focus means this life ain't it. This life ain't it. And, and again, I'm not trying to disparage. I think we're here for a reason. I think this life is important, but it ain't it. It's not over here. And I don't care how good it is or, or, or uh, I shouldn't say I don't care, but I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> I care. But, but uh, just for perspective, whether your life is everything you dreamed of right now and you got all the, all the dreams came true and all the shiny things in the world that you can possibly imagine, you've got hold of them or, or you're over here and you're like, man, this is the worst. If my life played out the worst that it could possibly play out, this is it. Anywhere on that spectrum or in between, it pales in comparison to what the glory of God is going to be like on that day when he calls us home. You were not created for this life. We're here for a reason. We have a purpose. And, 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 and God wants to accomplish things in and through us. But this life ain't it. Paul continues in verse 5, I mean, excuse me, in chapter 5. And I'll just summarize the first five verses for you. But he, he goes on this um, this illustration of earthly tents. Remember, he was a tent maker, right? And he's like, we have these earthly tents. He's talking about us, our bodies, our physical life, these earthly tents. And he compares them to this, this beautiful mansion in heaven built by God. 
okay? And some, some translations actually say mansions instead of houses, okay? We have this, this eternal mansion in heaven. And so he says we groan inwardly for our forever home. And again, this is not to say that, that we don't care about this life or that we want to die. No. He's saying that we're, 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 there's something in us that is longing to experience true life, life the way God always meant for it to be, going back to the Garden of Eden before the fall, perfect relationship with God the Father, no more tears, no more suffering, no pain, no sorrow, just God's glory and perfect relationship with him. I said, you were built for that. You were built for that. Something inside of you is still groaning. It's longing for that. It's God in you telling you, hey, this life ain't it, but I got something for you. Verse 5, chapter 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who created you for this, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. Paul says, therefore, we are always confident. I'm always confident, no matter what. Why? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Paul's life, it gave him confidence. It assured him that God was working and will continue to work in and through him. We can have that same confidence, y'all. If you, if you put your trust in Jesus, your faith in him as a follower of Jesus, he gives you his spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a down payment of his promise. Because as long as you're at home in this body, as long as you, as long as you love this life and this world more than, than you love that one, man, you're going to be you're gonna be missing it. You're gonna be missing it. Because we're away from the Lord. But we have a promise you can hold on to. And so we live by faith, not by sight. So that's the, the first thing is keep your eyes on eternity. But again, that sounds good. Practically speaking, what does that look like? How can I leave here? today and put this into practice this week. Here's, here's what I would say. Look up, look in, and then look out. Look up, look in, and then look out. When I say look up, I mean look up to God. Remind yourself, remember who he is. Remember his promises. Remember who he says you are. And then look in. See, I think Paul would say, I would say, oftentimes, we do this the opposite. We get the order mixed up. We look out, right, first. We look out at the world. We look at our circumstances. We look at everything that, that we've been going through, everything that life has given us. We look at the scary stuff that's happened all over the world, and all of a sudden, the worries and the anxieties and the fear and the anger and all the things build up. And then we look in at ourselves, and we're like, how do I, am I supposed to do this? And I can't handle that, and I don't know what about. And then when we finally spent every ounce of energy we have, when we're, when we're like, just, you know, at our, at, at our wit's end, we look up and go, God, where you been? Like, how, co- how could you let this happen? Or why didn't you? And God said, I've been here the whole time. I've been waiting for you to look to me. But if you flip this thing around, I'm telling you, it's going to go a lot better for you. Look up first. And then from that perspective, so, so how do we look up? I want to give you just some practical things. Pray continually. Pray continually. Paul said, pray continually. Pray without ceasing. 
What's that mean? I constantly, eyes closed. No, remember, you got to drive by sight. No, but you can have a running dialogue with God. You can have a constant conversation with him all day long. He wants that, right? You can talk to him about anything all the time. Have, it, maybe you don't feel God leading you. Maybe you're like, that's great for Paul, but I don't feel the presence of the Holy Spirit like he did. Pray for that. God, give me a fresh outpouring of your spirit today. I want you to guide me and lead me. I want to feel that you're with me, right? Pray continually. Second thing I would say is study scripture. Study scripture. The reason Paul could, had such a clear view of what he could not see, the reason he was able to keep his eyes on eternity was because he knew God's word so well. He knew God's promises, okay? He, he, he understood them, and he had received them, and God's spirit in him was, was working that out. And so uh, just study scripture, know God's word, hold on to his promises, and that will help you to look up first. And lastly, practice praise and gratitude. Praise and gratitude. Praise gets the focus off of us and puts it back on God. Right? Paul said, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's from 1 Thessalonians. Make it a habit to thank God for something every day. I promise you, you will not regret that. Even just one thing. I'm telling you, I, I'm betting you're going to start with one thing and you'll remind, be reminded of something else. Before you know it, you'll, you'll just keep on going. God, thank you. God, thank you for my wife. God, thank you for my kids. God, thank you for food to eat. God, thank you for, for, for a job. God, thank you that you saved me. Thank you that when I was actively running from you, God, you saw fit to run after me because you're a relentless God, that you love me that much. God, thank you. Like, there's so many things that you can thank God for. And when you do, again, it takes your focus off of you and this earthly temporary life, and it puts it on an eternal God who loves you, and all of a sudden perspective gets the way it's supposed to be. And then you look in. Now it's safe to look in at yourself in light of God's promises and his perspective and who he says you are. Now you can look in and see yourself from his perspective. You can see what God sees. You are who he says you are. Now go out and engage with the world. Now you can look out at your circumstances, at your neighbor, at your job, at whatever you have going on. And ask God, hey, in light of your promises and who you say I am, God, please help me to navigate my circumstances. Help me to deal with, with this season of life that I'm in. Help me to, to navigate this relationship. God, considering your word and your goodness, how should I engage with the world around me? How do I have this hard conversation? How do I, how do I forgive this person I don't want to forgive? How do I step into this, this, this gap, Lord, that seems too big for me to get past? empowered by your spirit and filled with your love, Father. Show me how to walk by faith and not by sight in every area of my life. That's the prayer. Look up, look in, then look out. You'll be ready. I thought, you know, when we were doing this series, just my mind instantly went to by faith, you know, all the heroes of our faith, right? Like, like you know, Name them all, Abraham and Jonah, just all the stories. Like these people who did these amazing, God did these amazing things through these people. I think about the missionaries who like go all over the world and do these just, just big grand things in the name of Jesus. I think by faith, like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to preach about. And I just feel like God being like, yeah, I can and will do these amazing things and have these, these great stories. But what if by faith you did the little mundane daily everyday things in life? Like with the spirit of faith, 
you raised your kids and, 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 and cooked breakfast and dinner and, and, and cleaned the house and did the laundry and, 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 and went to work and, and, you know, struggled through meetings and, and, and was a good friend and forgave somebody and just all the things that we got to do every day in life. What if we did that as the people of God in a spirit of faith with his light shining through us? What kind of testimony would that be to the world? What if that's God's plan to change the world? Not that a handful of people will go out and do these miraculous things where he's got to show up and do something crazy. Again, he can and he will. But what if his plan was for all of us to go do the normal everyday things with his spirit in us by faith? And that would be such a testimony to the world that it would never be the same. I think that might be what he's calling us to. By faith, not by sight. That's, that's my prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. God, I thank you so much for this church. God, I thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet, a light onto our path. God, I just pray you would help us this week. Encourage us, empower us, embolden us, God, to look up, to look up first, to connect with you, God, to allow you to fill our hearts and our minds and our souls with with your, your spirit and your love and your grace and your perspective, God, and then that we can turn our gaze inward to ourselves and see ourselves the way you see us, and then look out on a, on a broken world, God, that needs your love and your grace more than ever, God, and that we would find our place in it from your perspective and empowered by your spirit, God. Help us to live and walk by faith and not by sight this week and for all the days of our lives, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Um, Just a reminder, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, okay? We've already got a a few baptisms lined up, so come ready to celebrate and be excited for that because I know that we are, um, and and if you are still thinking about that, if you think, hey, maybe that by faith I might step into new life in Jesus Christ, if that's that's you, please let us know. You can do that on our website. Just hit the Connect tab from the homepage, and there's a, a, a form there for baptism if you're interested We've got room. So come believing, expecting for more. Have a great week. Walk by faith.